coming up on WordBirds. We have a little shorthand in my agency where we, we ask them for the three I's. Your story has to fit into one of the three I categories, innovation, impact, or insight. Hello, and welcome to WordBirds, a birds of a feather conversation amongst people who care about words. Today on the show, Amanda Prosha. Amanda is the co-founder of Lightspeed PR and Marketing and the best-selling author of PR Confidential, The Secrets to Creating a Powerful Public Image. Today, we're going to talk about the fight to bring corporate procurement into the comms process. We're going to look at how creating a message that cuts through actually means being newsworthy. And then we're going to look at how to evaluate media using the three eyes. I'm just going to leave it right there. Let's sit back and get some insight from the fly. What could you do with a 90% reduction in content errors, a 70% increase in content quality, and a 60% reduction in content editing costs? Probably what our customers are already doing. And that's creating better content faster. Acrolinks, the amazing content company. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to WordBirds. Hi, Chris. Great to be here. So fun story, and, and you know this story because you were in it. Um, we just randomly happened to end up on a sales call a few weeks ago. And um, you know, Amanda has a, a PR agency that she has started and was just randomly reaching out to people like me. And halfway through the call, I'd noticed on her LinkedIn a detail. And I just said, hey, when did you graduate from Gettysburg? And you said? 1993. And I said, so did I. Um, and we probably only had, what, like 500 people in our graduating class? So the yeah, odds of that. us not knowing each other is very slim. Um, lots of, of connections uh, that brought Amanda to this season of Word Birds, Friends of the Bird. Makes total sense. We go back to uh, 1989 together, as it turns out. Um, yeah. But that's just a fun story to kick us off. Let's jump right into the quickfire. I think that's where the fun happens. What, um, what's your best and most successful campaign thus far? You know, a few years ago, we did a great content campaign for a real estate app that we were doing PR for. And the content was just one part of what we were doing, but it ended up being bigger and bigger because it was becoming just more and more successful. So as a real estate app, they were very focused on local geography. So they had my team of writers writing just little information pieces. You know, if you live in this neighborhood or what you should know about these types of things or five things people never do on the New York City subway. It was just it was just a lot of news you can use and a lot of, I'd say, um, it color pieces around different neighborhoods and how it, what it is like to live in them. We were producing three or four pieces of content a week, and all of them were just generating tons and tons of engagement and awareness. And we were even getting some of these things placed in part of our, our news outreach. So it, it became a, a very big and very successful content campaign. Fantastic. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, what do you think? I always like the opposite. What's the worst one you've done? For many years, I was in-house at American Express. And one of the teams I supported was Global Procurement, which they were lovely people, but um, they didn't tend to put themselves out there as communicators or uh, be terribly visible. They like to just sort of stay in their job. 
we had a lot of them in New York. And even though we had a global team, most of the leadership was in New York. So we said, let's, let's put out a weekly email from one of you talking about who you are and what you do and your team and, and just developing some good, useful content so that people around the world can know a little bit more about their leadership. Well, they were just not comfortable with, <laughs> with me writing on their behalf, sitting in their office, begging them for personalized anything. It was just, it was very dry and uh, very work focused. And it, it, it went over like a lead balloon. So that, uh, that was just continued pretty quickly along. So out of the two of those, which one did you take the most learnings from? Unsurprisingly, it was, it was the less successful one because it, it really just reinforces everything that I do every day now, which is the more you can make a story human, the more you can make it connectable, the more you can make it like a real person is behind it. And thinking about real people, for example, what we did for the real estate app, giving people restaurants they can try or different ways they can get to different neighborhoods or, or local highlights or parks or that kind of thing. It was all about people. So that was what was missing in the one that went wrong. And it was, it was the key factor in the one that went right. So I think that was, that was the biggest takeaway for me. I mean, that is a great groundwork learning to be able to use to move into an agency environment. I mean, we've talked to at least one other communications expert this season. And I think that that's the idea of, of being able to take the, the people that you're communicating to, understand that audience, and then understand who you're communicating from is fascinating to me. And I, I talked about it in the last episode. I'll talk about it on this one. The idea that on any given day, you have to represent and speak in the voice of so many different companies. How do you manage that? Honestly, it's my favorite thing about the job. I love ghostwriting. It's been a big part of my career, writing on behalf of just so many different types of people, leaders or non-leaders or everybody you can imagine I've written on behalf of. And what I like to do is, is talk to the person for at least a few minutes first, get a sense of who they are and what I call their voice. So it's something that we actually learned at Gettysburg in a lot of our, our literature classes of what is the author communicating and how, and that's just become so much a part of how you write for another person is making sure that if someone who knew them read it, they wouldn't know that I wrote it, making sure mm -hmm. that their voice comes through very clearly. So that's, that's what I strive to do no matter who it is. Yeah, I mean, I find it so interesting that in in your role, um, you and people like you use the words we to talk about the people that you're writing for and with. Um, you become part of it and you have to know the person. You have to understand the voice that they, they have. You need to understand the points that they would have. Do you ever find yourself in, I, I want to say, arguments with the person that you're writing for about what that person might say? Not what they might say. What often the argument is about whether it's worth saying. <laughs> My agency focuses on tech, and I deal with a lot of people who are very passionate about tech, which is wonderful. But they don't always understand that getting deep into the speeds and feeds and how things work and all the background of of what makes up their tech isn't always as interesting or understandable as digestible. For the general public. So 
very often I have to push, push back and say, yes, I agree this is fascinating and I know it's it's an enormous part of your life, but we have to make this a little bit more general population friendly. So you have <laughs> so to tell we, smart technical people that they're boring. Not boring, but uh, that they're not quite as mainstream as they think they are. <laughs> Ooh, you're way nicer than I am. Yeah, um, I get it. Um, I, I mean, there are people that tell me that all the time. I think I'm hilarious and people constantly strip my voice out of content um, for that very reason, because apparently I'm not. But all those years of being a ghostwriter and and now today a best selling writer as yourself, um, PR Confidential, Unlocking the Secrets to Creating a Powerful Public Image was released weeks ago. Yes, October 18th. Tell me a little bit about that. So in 30 years of doing PR, and particularly in the last 10 years of running an agency, I get the same questions a lot. People just want to know the exact same thing over and over again. Um, clients, potential clients, employees, potential employees, people inside, outside the business, they always ask me the same thing. In fact, I went to a, um, a trade show a few months ago, and there was a lot of tech people, and they kept coming over to me and saying, my investors are telling me I need PR, but I don't know what it is. Why should I care? Why should I bother? And I get some version of that question probably every day. So after 30 years, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to write down my answers. <laughs> um, so the book is it's formatted in a little bit of an unusual way. It's, it's letter writing. So I, I structured it as, as though I'm an advice columnist, like a Dear Abby. Nice. And people are writing to me these questions that I hear all the time. And I'm answering them. In, you know, they're anonymous, I'm answering is me. So I got to have a lot of fun using my own voice, my own sense of humor, my own sort of world weary attitude toward hearing the same stereotypes over and over again. But but I truly hope that it, it helps people to understand what PR is and how they can use it. So what is that? It's kind of like being a comedian and using your first big set on a TV show and, and now you've given it all away. Um, what do you have to do now to reinvent and move forward? Because you've answered so many questions, you need a whole new set. What comes next? Oh, Chris, I wish I could say that the questions end there, but sadly they don't. So <laughs> Multiple books. So many more questions. You know, how do you work with social media? How do you, how do you transition into other types of PR disciplines like investor relations or public policy or those types of things? There's just there's a lot of nuances and PR is changing a lot and it's it's very different than it was when I started. It's different than it was just ten years ago. So I suspect I'm going to have content for at least a few more books if if they're well received and people want to learn more. I'm I'm here to help. Well, I mean, I know one question that I know comes up quite a bit um, that you probably have a take on is um, today in our business writing, um, words like synergy and alignment and all of these buzzwords drop into everything that we read. How, I mean, how do you deal with trendy language? How are you, how are you guiding folks that write and yourself um, to build compelling and actionable content that isn't filled with ridiculous businessisms. We just try not to use them. Um, yeah, I think it being in tech, I think I hear the word disruptor from every single client who comes across me and they, you can't all be a disruptor and the media is sick of that word. They won't print it. 
because it's it, it's just done. Like you say, these are trendy businessisms that they've, they've become so hackneyed that they've almost lost their meaning. So in order to capture attention, which is what good content does, you have to come up with something original, something that's truly just descriptive of what you do. And if it, we hope differentiating, um, when we start with any new client, we do a messaging session. And part of that session is finding differentiation points, the words we can use to talk about you, how you're unique, what your competitors are saying so that we don't say that. We do a whole section on brand voice and personality. How how do we categorize you? How do we talk about you? Are you informative and, and knowledgeable? Or are you more fun and personable? Though all those things play into the content that we develop. Do you use pictures? We used pictures when we did ours. And um, it was well before the AI picture creation software came out. So it became an overlay photo of kind of me and our CEO at the time. And our voice was a direct um, uh, overlay of us. We apparently just created a corporate voice that was us. And we didn't know. But when you looked at the picture, it was a guy that kind of looked like me wearing clothes that kind of looked like his. And the descriptors were you know, us. And our team looked at it and was like, mm-hmm, I don't know. And the interesting thing is, like, you, you know, you talk about getting those that language out. The idea of the clarity that comes from removing the ridiculousness of marketing language, of business speak, um, is really the thing that builds engagement. We think that we're adding superlatives and excitement into our content to capture attention and imagination. But understanding the content builds engagement well above using ridiculous language would you would you agree oh absolutely yeah if the, think about any any good reading that you do if if it sounds exactly like everything else it's never going to stay with you the more something is is true of that particular business or that particular author or or whomever it is that you're trying to communicate for even if it's a product if something that's really distinguishable about that product that can be put into words that that are somewhat ownable, that will always drive better engagement. Absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's the, that's the point, is that we're creating this content to educate and engage and build awareness and an audience with people. And yes. it doesn't work if those people don't actually accept the content. Aligning your, your style guidelines with the audience that you're creating content for builds that engagement, I would, I would think, I would gather. Yes, absolutely. And then when you have PR involved, there's a whole second layer of concern, which is you you have to engage reporters and third party advocates. You have to engage people who have seen it all and heard it all and are not terribly inclined to report on you unless you really capture their attention. You have to give them a reason to care. You have to do something that's different from everyone else. And language is an enormous part of that. So that's interesting because I, I asked the question, a couple episodes ago is the, is the press release dead and whether it is or it isn't we still all i have a goal of getting the media to pay attention to me and i mean i think that's that's the thing is how do you take the business and and turn it into a message that becomes something that's interesting enough for somebody to want to talk about we all think we're super interesting but how do you in that world that you just described, how do you get that media to 
care? How do you craft a message that cuts through? Well, you have to know the media, certainly. You have to know the people you're talking to. Don't don't pitch a text story to a beauty writer. <laughs> don't don't pitch a lifestyle story to a health writer. Make sure that make sure that you're talking to the right audience and the right publication. That's absolutely job one. Um, but more and above all that, I'd say always is true is making sure what you're saying is news. So often clients come to us and they give us what's essentially a brochure and say, you know, here's our company boilerplate. Go get that. Go get that on the front page of the New York Times. And we say. <laughs> We can't, there's, there's no news here. Ultimately, we still have to give reporters something that they're going to report on. We can work with you and try to uncover where there might be news in your story, but this isn't it. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to damage our reputation or our relationships with the reporters that we know by giving them something that they simply can't use. Yeah, I mean, I feel like inside an organization, the word press release is used a lot. Like, are we going to so we're, we have this new thing that's coming out. It's an upgrade to a thing that we did that's kind of important to three or four customers. Are we going to do a press release about that? No, no, we're not. I hear what you're asking. I think you think, I think you're asking for a blog article. Like yeah. you want to post it on the website, right? Oh no, press release. Nobody wants to write about that. Like that's not newsworthy. Tell me something newsworthy. And that's the hardest part is taking this, thing that we're doing in these in software businesses and synthesizing that into something beyond thought leadership, something that is worth telling somebody else telling the story. And I think that that is the hardest part of what you do is being able to walk into a business like this and, and find that angle that somebody at a major outlet, not, you know, we're, we're in AI content editorial alignment. So if it, if you got me into AI editorial alignment magazine, okay, but I want to be in Forbes. I want to be in the Wall Street Journal. And that's, that's the hard thing. Like, how do you, how do you manage expectations with people like me? Um, when all I want to do is have my face as a dot matrix image on the cover of the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, that's, that's something that comes up a lot. We have those conversations a great deal. Um, we have a couple of tools that we use to help people understand what's what we need in order to go out and get news. First of all, it's not an advertisement. We can't just decide we're going to say this or, or a blog piece. We can't just build something we want to write and make somebody publish it. We can't do that. That's It's earned media and it's called earned for a reason. We have to earn that coverage. Um, we have a little shorthand in my agency where we, we ask them for the three I's. Your story has to fit into one of the three I categories innovation, impact, or insight. If you can give us a story that's about an innovation, something that's truly new or solving a new problem or doing something in a different way, an innovation we can generally get news about. Impact, is your company ha having a, a gangbuster year? Are you doing something truly significant in the business world? Or are you making big, significant new hires? Have, have, you, have you changed the paradigm of how your industry does something? That's impact, certainly or insight, that's getting back to thought leadership. And there, we certainly can make news around thought leadership. We've had clients that are only thought leadership. We never do any kind of breaking news from their business. We just work with their leaders as expert commentary on breaking news or, or other, other news that's coming out or developing bylined articles on their behalf. And then we can make news from that. But if it's not in at least one of those categories, it's very difficult for us. 
And if I still don't understand at that point, then I usually use my old, say you did get in your top of, okay, you are in the New York Times. What's the headline? And then usually they'll give me something that's an advertising slogan. And I say, ah, (laughs) would you actually see that headline in the New York Times? And that's when I sort of see dawn breaking and they're like, oh, okay, that's not news, is it? (laughs) Server update number 13.2.6 released. Hmm. No, I don't think that's the cover of the newspaper. So we've reached the part that I like the best. This is uh, the PSOTD, provocative statement of the day. I'm ready for a fight. What do you got? This actually came out because I, after I launched the book and I sent it around to a lot of my friends who are working in PR and quite a few of them are working in-house and they have made the point pretty, pretty uh, demonstrably that a lot of their marketing partners even internal marketing partners or people who have external marketing partners, other ad agencies or whomever they might have on the marketing side, do not know what PR is. Oof. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, so, I mean, I think I do. I, I mean, I, I have a, a, I have a fairly solid experience track record working with agencies. So, I mean, I, I feel like I know what I'm up to, but I guess it's interesting to hear that statement from somebody that actually does it versus somebody that buys it. And so I will say, go on, explain yourself. Well, very often, as your last guest pointed out, the the first line of, of anything being decided on the marketing side is coming from a CMO or a chief marketing, someone on the marketing side, which means that PR is then forced into a marketing filter. We have to bend or rethink our plan, our strategy, or our solutions based on what's already been devised or developed by the marketing team. And too often, the marketing team doesn't think about the message that they're developing or the strategy that they're focusing on and whether or not those messages or that content even is newsworthy. Very often as well, they're not bringing us into the conversation early enough because they're not recognizing how much PR can do in those scenarios. They're not understanding that, hey, you have a team of people who have their ear to the ground on what's trending, how people's perceptions are on something, how those perceptions might be shifting, how different channels of communications are changing, how we reach people. So they're just going back to their tried and true methods and then taking PR and sort of layering that on top of it and saying, okay, go, go make our things successful without recognizing all the things in our toolbox that could do the job even better. Okay. So what I'm hearing is sort of the same type of an argument that without the overview that the communications organization has in the business. Marketing is doing what marketing does. They're doing marketing things and then saying, hey, take my marketing things and make them into something that would make somebody want to talk about it. And that's not wrong. Um, I mean, I think as I look at so we just wrapped up, are in the process of wrapping up on Friday, uh, the development of a whole new messaging platform. And... what you're saying is making me stop and think about the job that we did and did we do 
marketing things that marketers do or did we tell a story and then back our messaging into the story? And I think that luckily I might be able to pass the test of creating a newsworthy story that we that we built product into because in the age of generative AI, um, large enterprises can't are not allowed to use public uh, large language models. It's just not a thing. And so our message starts with safe and secure use of generative AI. And when there is a news story about the perils of the world of AI, we have a point of view at the very top of our messaging that allows us to tell a story that doesn't have to be product-based, but would bring people back to find out more about us. How am I doing? Am I doing a good job doing what you're saying, or am I doing a marketing, doing a marketing thing job? You can tell me. It's okay. You're doing a good job. I think you could probably do a better job. Let's always okay. remember, which I'm sure the marketer, you will agree that consistency in messaging is the most important thing. It takes what five or six, seven times for someone being exposed to your message before you actually push them down the funnel. So if that message changes, or if they see something that's not quite capturing them the way it, it might have the first time, or it's not, they're not understanding it the same way, consistency is enormously important. So you have, if you have your marketing team telling one version of the story, and the PR team knows that eh, that's really not news, we have to tweak that to make it into something that we can, we can tell reporters, then that story is going to change and you're going to lose that level of consistency. So if you had invited the PR team into the room for your messaging and asked them, do all of these things neatly translate into press messaging, they might have given you some edits. Amazing. This is valuable stuff. I mean, I think the audience is probably gasping right now because this is actually very interesting. I've just taken a lot of notes. Um, Amanda, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm very glad that we found each other after several years out of college. Just a couple. Um, and great, great luck to you on the book. Um, I know that it is now a bestseller in its category. It is. Yes, we're thrilled about that. Fantastic. And if people want to find the book or find you, how would they go about doing that? The book is on Amazon right now. It's both in Kindle and print version. And I should say it's a very quick read, only 92 pages. It's got a lot of humor in it. You won't be bored. Um, finding me, I'm on LinkedIn, Amanda Prosha, or you can find my agency. We're lightspeedpr.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Amanda. See you again soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to WordBirds. WordBirds is hosted by Chris Willis, produced by Charlotte Baxter-Reed, and brought to you by Acrolinks. For more information on Acrolinks, visit www.acrolinks.com.